0: Welcome to the Hope Community Church Podcast. We're so grateful that you're here with us today. We pray that these messages encourage you, inspire you, and give you hope. Whether you are in your car, at your house, or your job, we hope you enjoy these messages. James chapter 3. We'll start in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. than peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is, is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Actually, that's got an explanation. He says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we're here to lean into you today, to look into your word, apply it to our lives and walk out a better church, walk out better people, Lord, walk out and impact our community. We pray that you would give us the ability to do that today. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to make disciples. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Now now remember, he's not writing to the people at Walmart. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to the crazy people in your neighborhood. He's writing to the church unless they also happen to be church people. He's he's writing to the church. And so some of the stuff he's describing, you're like, that's in the church? Jealousy, selfish ambition. He even says the word murder at one point. So James starts out this section with... Pointing back to something he's already talked about. Remember when he said, show me your faith, I'll show you my works. And we had that whole discussion about how it sounded like James was disagreeing with Paul because Paul said that we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. But James says, show me, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. And we talked about how they were really saying the same thing to two different groups of people, addressing two different issues. Paul was addressing people who are trying to gain salvation by what they do. And so he said, look, you can't earn salvation. It's not, it's not something you can do. James was addressing Jewish people who were just trying to sit back and say they had faith. And James would say, if you have faith, it doesn't cause you to do something different. It's not really faith. Now James spins back around at the end of chapter three. And he says that what you do proves out where your wisdom comes from. He starts out, the very beginning of this section, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He says, The way I'll be able to tell you have wisdom is I'll just watch. Ha <laughs> ha. Don't you love that? Don't you love it when people tell you they're smart? You're like, I've been watching. Eh. He says, by your good conduct, what you do, not just what you say, by your good conduct, I can tell if you got godly wisdom. Then he starts breaking down what wisdom looks like, where you get it from, and where you get it from matters. So the source matters. So the first thing he talks about is the source. So watch what he does here. James gives an example of verse 14, but if you have Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. So bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting. He says, this is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. Do you see the next comma? He's saying if there's selfish ambition and jealousy and boastfulness in us, that's demonic. Told you he wasn't playing around. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He said, this type of wisdom leads to all kinds of sins. He said, disorder in every vile practice. So... Example number one, this is one type of wisdom. So then he gets to verse 17. Example number two, another type of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. So he's doing a comparison. He's saying, I can tell where your wisdom comes from by what you do and how you act. So he said, if you're open to reason and you're not selfish... I can tell where you get to where you get wisdom from. If you've opened yourself up to every vile practice, I can tell where you get your wisdom from. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to people outside of the church. He said, "I can watch in the church and see when selfishness rises up, when jealousy rises up, when all these things are. I know where it's coming from." And there's two sources. There's a demonic source. There's a there's a satanic source, there's a source that's the, that's, the, that's the common knowledge or the common wisdom of the world. He said, that doesn't come from God. He said, just because your neighbor thinks that way doesn't mean it's the right way to think. Just because you heard it on the news doesn't mean it's the right way to think. Just because you, I've been a little hard on Facebook lately. He says, "Here is what godly wisdom looks like. Wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere." So he gives he gives two different sources. You can have a worldly source that's basically demonic, he says, or you can have a godly source. Let me let me tell you how this plays out. There's not much space between here and here. Did you realize that? Not much space. I don't know, I got a big head, mine's like six inches right here. From, from here, this little prefrontal cortex thing that's supposed to make you think before you say stuff, make you reason, all this, not much distance between this and this. We talked about that the other week. Your mouth, it gets us in trouble, amen? And if it's not your mouth, it's your thumbs. which is a mouth proxy, if you wanna call it that. So here's what James says. Jealousy starts here. If you don't get control of it here, it comes out here. It works its way out here. So what you realize is, uh, let me introduce you to something called temptation. You You do realize temptation is not a sin. You do realize that, don't you? Temptation, the act of being tempted is not a sin because the the Bible says that he will provide a way to escape temptation. So we are tempted. Jesus was tempted just like we are. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. We are all tempted. So what what temptation happens, boom, the thought comes in. You know what it is. That person doesn't deserve that. Here we go. Ready? Ready? You worked all your life, hard work, took every ounce of overtime. You put it in, self-made, built it from the ground up. Pride, I did it, I made it happen. And then somebody comes to church, sitting in front of you, not this church. And all of a sudden you start sizing them up. You're like, they seem kind of lazy and it'll work. They don't, they don't seem to have it together. They seem to mess up. You know, I didn't get those opportunities. And we start what? We start a little bit of comparison. Where does it happen? Right here. We start to feel a little bit of jealous, jealousy because you worked so hard for what you got and it doesn't seem like they're working as hard for what they got. And so a little bit of jealousy pops in and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And all of a sudden, the wrong type of wisdom starts to take over. You see how easy it is? Not at this church, another church. See how easy it is? The wrong type of wisdom takes over. And we start to justify things that we think. And we start to justify like, well, you know what? I'm only going to help people that help themselves. I'm not throwing good money away, from, away on bad. I'm not, I'm not doing. And then all of a sudden, the wisdom starts to come out in what we do and say. And James says, I can tell what you were thinking by what you're doing now. That gets me every time. All people have to do is watch. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that the wisdom that you live by ends up coming out sooner or later? Now, the beautiful thing is God gives us a, a little tiny filter in between here and here. And he tells us, Paul tells us that we can take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. You grab a hold of that thing and you squeeze it. He says, you take the temptation and then you apply godly wisdom to it and then it will keep you from acting on it. Are we clear? He says the problem with the church that he's writing to is you're not applying godly wisdom, you're applying earthly wisdom. You're applying the same wisdom that people that don't know God apply. You're applying the same wisdom that the, that, that the ungodly apply. And he said, that only leads us to all kinds of vile things. So I need to make sure all of us understand something. Isaiah 55, verse, starting in verse six, says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, listen, he's describing, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now watch this. This is where the two wisdom worlds get tangled up. Because there's a wisdom that makes sense and then there's a godly wisdom. You thought godly wisdom made sense. That's where we all messed up. Because doing good to people that persecute you never makes sense. Does it? No, no, no. Because here's what happens. I like the Old Testament in certain circumstances. I like eye for an eye. I think that's cool. Do to me, I'll do to you. That's the way we grew up. You punch me, I'll punch you back. Didn't that sound cool when you were a kid? Not so much when you're in your 40s. Start to hurt. I'm just saying. I don't want to get punched. When I was a teenager, I thought that was a cool rule to live by. Punch me, I'll punch you back. I'll punch you before you get a chance to punch me. That sounds like eye for an eye. So the so all of a sudden. We we adhere to this earthly wisdom because it makes sense to us. It's logical after all. I'm gonna help somebody that helps themselves. Isn't that logical? Come on, don't be afraid. Say amen. That's logical. I'm gonna do good to people that do good to me. That's logical. God comes in and flips all of that upside down. When Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you, but do the same thing I did on the cross. He said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. The political opponents. Uh... The problem with godly wisdom is it doesn't make sense. The church has spent Decades and centuries and millennia trying to make sense of godly wisdom so it doesn't seem out of place in the world. But there is no such thing. When Jesus walked the earth, he was as out of place as anybody could have been. People couldn't figure out why he didn't do what everybody else did. People couldn't figure out why he talked different than everybody else. People couldn't figure out why he operated. Everything he did was different and nobody could put reason to it. Jesus would go meet the woman at the well. Hey guys, I got to walk this way. And they're like, wow, why are we going this way? When he gets there, he's, they take off to go get some food. He talks to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who he should not have been talking to. Logically, you shouldn't have been there talking to her. When they get back, he says this. They say, you hungry? He says, no, I got food you don't know I got. And they're like, how did he get food? Well, he wasn't talking about food. He was talking about spiritual food, but he didn't need to eat. And so I don't know what that means. He told the woman at the well, if you ask me for water, you'll thirst no more. And she went, dude, give me some water. I don't like coming to the well. Earthly wisdom, godly wisdom. You know what the best thing the church could, could do? Stop trying to make sense out of God's plan. Stop trying to make sense of the Holy Spirit's leading. Isaiah said it. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. He's not, he's not chained to the idea that it's gotta be logical and linear. Do you realize that? He's operating on a plane that we've never even experienced before. He knows the beginning from the end and the up from the down. He knows everything in between about everybody that's ever walked the face of the earth and how they interact with each other. And he knows who you're gonna call next week. So it's never going to make sense to you when he says, do this. And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. It would make sense if you were God. Can I let you in on something? You're not. Just in case you thought. Isaiah says, there's no chance that you Paul tells us this. He says, we look through a glass dimly the best view we can get is like looking through the bottom of a bottle, like the, the bottom of it that's distorted. The best view that you can understand God is from a limited viewpoint. We won't be able to understand it until we're gone from this earth. So we should probably try to stop making sense of God's wisdom, huh? Why do you do that? I know it's not going to make sense but I give this much money away every year, whether I think I can afford it or not. Why do you do that? God told me if I was generous, he'd keep supplying. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Did you get a raise this year? No, I'm just gonna give more and trust him. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Hey, why do you keep forgiving that person? You know what I just found? Nope, (laughs) sorry, it doesn't make sense. In the Bible, hey, by the way, can I just be honest right now? If you start out your conversation with somebody with worldly wisdom and you say the Bible tells, it's over. You just be honest. You've already stepped into another realm of wisdom. Earthly wisdom doesn't know anything about the Bible. So if you say, well, the Bible tells me to forgive people, they're gonna go, I don't know that. Doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't make any sense, but I'm not trying to make any sense to people I'm trying to make sense with God. So James says, it's so obvious when he watches where the wisdom's coming from. He said, we spend so much time trying to figure it out on our own and it ends up causing envy and jealousy and all these things. So here's what he says. Every time a bad source will equal bad results. A bad source will equal bad results. You can't eat Oreos every day and have good health. Trust me, trying. You it. trying. You can't do ungodly things and expect godly results. He says a bad source will equal bad results every time. So what does worldly wisdom produce in the church? Worldly wisdom in the world would not seem strange, but in the church it has no place. So at the beginning of chapter four, he says, what causes quarrels? He's writing to the church. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And those are some strong words. Now, let let me say this. I don't think they were killing each other on Sunday morning during worship. I don't think they were like, hey, hey, they can't sing, I can't take it anymore. They're off key every day. I don't think they were killing each other. Do you remember Old Testament again? Do you remember when God was trying to teach the Israelites how to live after they left Egypt? He wrote, he gave Moses 10 commandments. There's a couple of them in there. There There's 10 of them actually. Hence the name. A couple of them said things like this. Do not commit murder. Seems pretty easy. Do not commit adultery. Plain, straight to the point. I like it. Here's the problem with that. It left a little wiggle room. Now I know not I mean I know murder is murder. But I could hate your guts and not kill you. Anybody ever done that before? Come on, just a show of hands, let's be honest. Jesus came along and kind of stretched those commandments out a little bit. Jesus came along and and maybe clarified some things. So Jesus came along, Matthew chapter five, verse 21, says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone, that's pretty much everybody, everyone, (laughs) who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I'm sorry, but I liked it better when it was just plain murder. I was perfect with that one. Anybody else? Like I've never killed anybody. Ever? It's been pretty easy actually not to kill people. Jesus, don't do it. I don't wake up in the morning wrestling with the idea of killing people. But then Jesus talked about something that sometimes I do wake up in the morning wrestling with. Stretched it out. He didn't say, don't just murder. He said, if you're angry, you're guilty of the same thing. If you hate somebody, you're guilty of the same thing. So now James comes along. And I think he was being a little hyperbolic with the church. And he was saying, you're guilty of murder. You're walking in and you're hating the people around you. He said, I can't believe this is even happening. Worldly wisdom has penetrated the church to the part that we're hating each other. Jesus said that was just like killing her. Jesus said that was just like murder. So then here's the most unbelievable thing you can think of. There's what happens. And James, if you if you don't, if you don't read it, if you don't really read it, you'll miss it. James throws this in here. So he says, he says, you're fighting, you don't, you don't, you're fighting each other for things that you want. You're you you're, you're, opposed to people in the church and selfish ambition and jealousy and all this stuff here. You hate each other to the, point, to the point that Jesus would call it murder. And then he says this, then you ask. Then you ask and you don't get what you want. Did you just hear what he said? It would be like us filing into church on Sunday morning and I'm sitting beside... Somewhere in the middle here. And the whole time we're singing, I'm like, I hate that guy. Just, I mean, he gets on my nerves so bad. Not you, but somebody like you. Just like, I don't know why God bless? I don't know why God even blesses him. I mean, he he doesn't like. I've seen him. He's not as good as me. He's not as good as me. I just, I'm just so irritated. <sighs> You're never going to let, never going to let me down. Let him down. Why don't you let him down every now and then? He's on his high horse, thinks he's cool, thinks he's better than me. Just like Pastor Chris said, Lord, bless me. Bless me, Lord. Lord, I need, Lord, I'm a little bit short on the mortgage this month. I need you to help me out. Do you know how crazy you have to be to do that? James says they're sitting in church, hating each other, and then asking God for blessing at the same time. That sounds to me like a personality disorder. That sounds to me like crazy, that you would sit in church, that you would be with other people who believe the same thing as you, and be angry enough to be, to be deemed as murderous and then ask God to bless you. But James said they were doing it. Holy cow. I mean, I'm pretty confident people do it to me. Like, oh, why did he put his hair that way? Why does he growing his beard out? God bless me. He's saying people are doing that. At the same, they're hating each other and asking, how do I know this? because he describes it, watch. He acknowledges that they are asking God for things but not getting an answer. And the reason is, earthly wisdom has polluted all their motivations. James indicates that his readers were asking only to spend on their own passions. Only to spend on their own passions. He says you don't have because you don't ask correctly. You just ask for selfishness. So he said you're using the same wisdom to hate people to ask and then ask God for things. Lord, I can't stand that person. I'm going to move next Sunday to the back left because I can't even stand to look at the back of their head. And by the way, I need a new truck like yesterday. And fix my family while you're at it. And fix my job while you're at it. I'm sick of hating everybody there too. It's crazy. That's crazy talk. James says, that's not godly wisdom. That did not come come from God. He said, that came from somewhere demonic. Don't forget where he put it earlier. He said, that's demonic. That you can hate somebody and then ask God for a blessing. He said, that's a demonic source. So, 1 John says this. Chapter five, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, what's the key words there? According to what? If you've got a paper Bible, circle that. Godly wisdom causes you to know God's will. Could it be that the people around you that get prayers answered more than you do know more of God's will than you do. Uh, if I'm operating in worldly wisdom and somebody else is operating with godly wisdom and God answers their prayers, why should I be jealous of them? How can I get godly things with a demonic thought process? But John writes, if you know the will of God, and you ask anything according to the will of God, he will give it to you. So James is laying out the same argument. You can't have pagan, demonic wisdom and ask God and have him give it to you. You have to have godly wisdom from the spirit and then when you have godly wisdom from the spirit, it will produce those things that then God can bless. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Amen? So James says, if the source is bad, the results are gonna be bad every time. If the source is bad, the results are gonna be bad every time. You know what the worst thing to do for a child is to pump bad things into them and and then punish them for bad results. Mm. Let them watch horrible stuff on TV, let them listen to horrible stuff, let them see horrible stuff on the phone and then punish them for bad results. How can I expect something that I didn't pour good things into? We talk about it in leadership. How, how do I critique things that I, didn't, that I didn't give enough examples of to get the, to get the results? God's saying, if you, if you input bad wisdom, demonic wisdom, you're gonna get bad results every time. You, you, should, you should know this. He said you should expect it. But if you want peace, and reasonableness and all these other, if you want the stuff from God, you have to put in those things. Here's what I like about what James says. If, if you ever had somebody tell you what was wrong, but then didn't tell you how to fix it, I don't like that. You're doing that wrong. Okay, I'm doing it wrong. How do I fix it? Well, I don't know. I'm just here to point it out. I'm like, well, I don't need you. I need somebody to tell me how to fix it. James doesn't critique the church and not tell them how to fix it. This is where the world gets frustrated with the church. They're used to the church pointing things out but never giving them a solution. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. James says, James says, that's wrong, but I'm gonna tell you how to fix it. I'm gonna tell you how to fix it. So he does. Verse five, I need you to understand this about, before we can move on with any more of the fix, I need you to understand this right up front. You ready? James says in verse five, or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? I need you to understand something right now. God will not share you with anyone else. He is as jealous as they come. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. We are his. It says he paid for us with his life. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the reason we get to believe in him is because he came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin and my sin that we have committed, are committing and will commit. He paid for all of it. So God gets to be jealous. So remember the Old Testament, remember the 10 commandment things we were talking about? Remember that? You will have no other gods. He said, I'm it. If we're gonna do this, I'm it. I don't share. God's jealous, but he's jealous in a good way. He's jealous for you, not against you. You see, earthly wisdom makes you jealous against people. God's jealous for you. He said, I paid for you. I want the best for you. I want you to make it. I want you to inherit eternal life. I wanna bless your life. I'm jealous for you. And so the thing that James, when he starts talking about the fix, he wants us to understand, God is jealous for you. He is not gonna share you. He doesn't want you to have a little bit of godly wisdom and a whole lot of earthly, he wants you to be all his all the time. So the first step in the fix is you have to understand that he is not splitting it 50-50. He's not dividing, you are his and his alone. That might make us start acting different, huh? Now it's not, now it's just not my liberty to make up my own mind. God's jealous for me. He's already told me how to do this. I need to seek out godly wisdom. He's already given me what I should do. So he's jealous for us. Then he gives us a couple steps. Verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let me read that again. Submit yourselves before the Lord, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Resist and draw, resist and draw. Look at your neighbor, say, resist and draw. Resist and draw, not like draw like a cowboy. So, James tells us if we resist the devil, if we resist that ungodly thought process, if we resist the wisdom of this world, if we resist resist it, he flees from us. Jesus said that when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He resisted him with scripture every time. He, resi- he turned that stone into bread. No, man should not live on bread alone. Do this. No, that's not. No, the word says, it says, it says, it says, it already written, it was written, it was written. He resisted the devil. And guess what happened? The devil left him. The church needs to get back into the idea that we can resist the devil and he, and he has no control over us. It says, if you resist him, he will flee. So watch how this works. You can't just resist him once. I'm sorry to say, you're like, hey, I resisted him 10 years ago, never saw him again. (laughs) Not gonna happen. That's why Paul says, take every thought captive. That's why he says he battles his flesh daily. It's a daily resistance, but we are guaranteed that if we are tempted, have temptation. If we are tempted, then he will provide a way of escape. So you know what that means? We can resist the devil with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the devil will leave us. Now, at the same time, James says, don't only resist, but draw near. Now here's the most beautiful thing I'm going to tell you today. Now, when you resist, you will be tired. I know it. Jesus was tired at the end. It says he was hungry and tired at the end of fasting forty days. He resisted the devil, and then angels came and ministered to him. Watch this: you resist the devil, he flees. But now I'm tired, Lord. The Bible says that if you draw near to Him, can you put that verse back up there? If you read this, you'll, you'll miss it. Verse eight. Put up the seven and eight. Draw near to God, and He. Go back to eight. Draw near to God and he will. You know, I have a little sneaky suspicion that God can cover more ground than you can. That he's always been able to cover more ground than you can. That he's always been able to draw farther than you are able to draw. And James doesn't say, you've got to cover all the ground. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then he says, draw near to God. And what happens? Then God comes towards us. Isn't that the story of God? That Emmanuel, God with us, when we couldn't even resist the devil by ourselves, when we, couldn't get, when we couldn't draw near to God the whole way, he said, you don't have to come the whole way, I'll come to you. So he's saying the fix is this, you resist the devil and you draw to me with the strength that you have. And guess what? I'll make up every step you can't make. He'll draw to us. It's like the story of the prodigal son where it says once he got up and decided to go towards the father, as soon as he saw him, he went running towards him. You know what I know about God? He's just waiting on you to start drawing. That's it. If they just draw to me, I'd run the rest of the way. If they just, draw to, if they just resist the devil and draw near to me, I would run as far as it takes to get to him. That's why it's so important to know that his hand's never too short to reach you. That he's never occupied where he can't hear your prayer. Whatever circumstance you're in this morning and you think I'm too far, I'm too gone. All he's saying to you is the fix is resist and draw with whatever strength you have left, draw near to me. And it says he will come to you. So here's a beautiful thing. There's one more thing about this. One more thing, and we don't say this word a lot in church. There's a reason I didn't start with this verse. (laughs) Verse nine, put verse nine up. Be wretched and mourn, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy to gloom. Welcome to church. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You know what James is saying there? He's saying, repent and don't be flippant about your sin. Can I just be transparent with you right here at the end? There are times when I go, hey God, forgive me for the sin I committed today. You ever do that? Just like, hey, forgive me. You know, the whole blanket prayer at the end of the day. Hey, Lord, thanks for a great day. Sorry about those few things I screwed up on. What I said to that person, what I said, you know, if you could just cover that, that'd be great. I'll try to be better tomorrow. Amen. Amen. James actually indicates that there should be a mourning over sin like that we should have an awareness of how our sin affects God. He actually said, change your attitude about it. When you repent, be mournful about what we've done. He didn't say be mournful forever. He didn't say keep dragging the past with you. Because the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about heaping condemnation on you and you should be guilty forever about what you did. No, I'm saying when we go to God for forgiveness, we should humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, that was not a small deal I did today. And I repent of it. And my heart aches because because I broke your law and because I need your forgiveness. When's the last time we were even upset about sin? really upset. When's the last time we just wept before God and said, Lord, forgive me. I've asked you for forgiveness so many times for the same exact thing. And here I am again today. It's the last time we shut it to, James says, if it's sincere, there's gonna be a, a change in attitude about it. It's not gonna be just, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to He said, there's gonna be a mourning over what we've done. But then he doesn't leave it at that. He says, if you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. He said, if you'll ask for forgiveness, God will forgive you. If you sincerely come to him in a repentant heart, in a heart that says, I'm not doing that anymore. I realize what I've done and I'm turning and changing my ways. He said, if you will do that, he said, "I'll." I'll forgive you. Now, stand to your feet. I'm gonna end with this. I want you to get this. This has not been an Amen sermon. I get it. What I'm excited about is I don't believe we're the church we just read about. I don't think we are. I don't think we're even close. I don't, I don't think we are. One of the things, one of the one of the stories I hear of people coming into this church is they're like, man, there's really Like people just love on each other and and nobody's killing each other. The last church I went to was wow. The reputation, you know, the churches, like I came in for the first time and it was a, people are just genuinely care for me. I hear that. The issue is we don't ever have to become that church that James puts a fix in place so we can put the fix in place before we ever become that, amen? You've heard of preventative maintenance, right, on a vehicle? You keep changing your oil because you don't want to blow your motor up. If you blow your motor up, it's a little bit late to change the oil, amen? So now we could take what James said and see what could happen if we don't apply the fix before. If we don't do the preventative maintenance, we see where we could go. And so now we have the ability, the clear thinking, the clear mind. Okay, God, you know what? Every day I have to be mournful about how how I've sinned and I have to repent of that. And I have to ask you for godly wisdom, I have to put off. I have to put off the satanic wisdom of this world and I have to draw near to you and when I draw near to you you're going to draw near to me and then I can be forgiven and you in humility you will exalt me that is the fix that's the preventative maintenance and as long as we will be faithful to do that he said he will lead us and guide us he said we will produce righteousness and we will never have to worry about killing each other isn't that great but you know what especially in today's climate, we need a church who changes the oil on a regular basis because our culture is disintegrating around us. And they are looking for hope. They don't even know what it looks like. And when the church can walk out and say, we are in unity in Jesus' name, we have all been forgiven. We have all been loved on. God has set us free we are treating each other like that it will be a shock to their system amen so let's do the preventative maintenance Be that church every day and watch how God exalts it amen father we thank you this morning I pray God we repent we ask you to forgive and we ask Lord that how we treat each other in here would be an inspiration to everybody outside Lord that the church can be the example for the rest of the world Lord let us, let us apply the fix before it gets broken in Jesus mighty name we pray and everybody said come on give him praise and honor this morning encourage somebody as you leave and put the fix on this week We thank you for your time today. We hope you have grown closer to Jesus Christ through this message. If you found it helpful, share the message. Share it with your friends and your family. And with your help, we can take the gospel far and wide.